What is up, my beautiful Knowing Truth speakers? This episode is brought to you by Painless Pregnancy. Painless Pregnancy is a group of physical therapists located in South Florida who specialize in helping pregnant and postpartum women prevent dysfunction and heal in the comfort of their own homes. This concierge service has been a game changer for me after my third childbirth, and I am excited to partner with them and offer our listeners 10% off of their first in-home visit using my code NikkiSpo10. Stay tuned to learn more. Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What up, what up? You are listening to The No, and this is your host, Nikki Spo. And I am here to remind you that The No is not about knowing everything. It's about knowing ourselves. And part of knowing ourselves, especially if we have kids, is also knowing them and what they need. So I'm really looking forward to hosting today's guest, Linda Matthews, who is a pediatric occupational therapist. Linda has been a pediatric OT for 25 years and is just so passionate about connecting with children and families and truly believes in the work she does, which often impacts the trajectory of the little ones that she serves. To be honest, I didn't know much at all about pediatric occupational therapy until you guessed it, I became a mom and I had to look into it for my family. So through my own discovery process, I learned that peds OT can help with so many quote unquote issues. And truthfully, when I considered needing an OT for one of my children, I was kind of taken aback. Like, is something wrong, wrong? Have I been doing something wrong as a mother? Is my child not meeting my milestones? Worry, worry, worry. This is what we do. This is how we get in our heads sometimes. And you know, like some of that is legit, like indeed. And I know this a little bit from my short time teaching, like there are, are so many instances where parents do discover that their child is on the spectrum or is dealing with any number of learning disabilities. And it's so important to figure that out sooner than later. So part of my excitement today in getting to host Linda Matthews is taking some of the fear out of the process and also being able to give parents everywhere some insight in how beneficial occupational therapy can actually be for little ones. So let's get started with Linda Matthews. Hi, Linda, welcome. And yes, thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on The Know. I'm so excited to be here, Nikki. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to talk about children and how to help them, how to help them succeed. Totally. So you are an occupational, a pediatric occupational therapist, and you've been doing this for 25 years and you've built a practice between Los Angeles and Miami. And I, I love this episode, especially for new moms, because when I was a new mom, I didn't know anything about this world. And I feel Truthfully, I feel like I've come so far. Um, I had to look into pediatric occupational therapy for one of my children, and I've I've learned so much since then. So, first and foremost, I'm excited that we're able to put this on parents' radars. You know, whatever stage they're in in their child rearing, um, and I want I want them to know that occupational therapy covers a ton of areas. Can you tell us about some of those? It is. It's kind of like a catch-all. I mean, what are kids' occupations? Their occupations are to play and to go to school and to build relationships and to connect with their family. So some of the things that I work on with children that I see is like 
sensory regulation, um, sensory skills, fine motor skills, emotional regulation, gross motor skills, depending on the age, because physical therapy and occupational therapy work very closely together. So sometimes it's all very much. That makes sense. Yeah, it's very overlapping. But can you actually differentiate the two for those of for those parents who are, aren't actually sure? You know. Yes. So for physical therapy, um, they differentiate when children start really moving, like walking, and it's, physical therapy is more lower extremities, and okay, occupational therapy is more upper. So everything from the waist up is really occupational therapy. Everything from the waist down is all physical therapy. But in pediatrics. Because like things like torticollis, like that can happen during the birthing process. Um, Which is what? When they have tightness through their, their neck muscles. Okay. That can affect everything from vision to processing to eventually down the line handwriting. If they have tightness on one side of their body, they're going to use the other side of their body and they're going to have a lot of asymmetry, which eventually comes in comes into play with things like visual skills, reading, writing. And you see it sometimes when it's not treated in those areas. When you're getting referrals from teachers saying they need help with handwriting, and I'm like, they look really tight on one side. This might be a torticollis baby. That's so wild, you know. And it's it shows you how important um, early childhood education is, and those teachers who are working with our our little little ones. And we're going to get into the education system in, in a little bit mm-hmm. because I think that's really important as far as like the whole child and who's with your child and who's working with them one-on-one and, you know, in a classroom setting to be able to observe, observe all those things. But I also want to ask you if you feel that occupational therapy could help all, if not most children and why. It can help every child. And what I, I find to be true. So I I worked mostly in New York and Miami, New York and Miami were my two um, places that I built practices. New York city is probably the best place for early intervention services. Really? LA used to be, I don't know if it is anymore because I haven't kept track of it, but New York was the best place for near, um, early intervention. So I would get referrals for kids in New York City just like a few weeks preemie. And they just wanted to kind of support them to make sure that they weren't missing milestones. So I would get baby babies and I would work with them until they were three. And that was all paid through the state. Now, in fact, the early intervention system is a little bit different. Um, I don't work in that system, so I can't speak to it anymore, but it takes a lot for you to get a referral to early services. And they're not always occupational therapists, physical therapists, or speech therapists. They're kind of people who are cross-trained in those areas. Why can occupational therapy help every child? Because every child is not going to hit every milestone in every area at the same at the same time, at the same level as their peers, at the same as their siblings. So can occupational th- therapy support their sensory skills, their emotional development, their fine motor development, their visual skills. And then something that I've become really attuned to in the last few years is reflex patterns because um, primitive reflexes are something that I'm sure you'll be watching now because you have a baby baby. Um, Primitive reflexes are natural patterns of movement that your babies go through after birth. And sometimes I'm thinking about the moral reflex. You know what I'm talking yes, about? Exactly. No, I know. Yeah, right. So can you explain the moral reflex for, for those parents who might not know? So it's a startle reflex. And what babies do to make sure that they're safe. Yes, they, yes, exactly. <laughs> for those of you who are not watching on video, I just took my hands up in the air and I went, whoa, like a surprise. <laughs> it's the startle reflex. And you want them to have that startle because it keeps them safe. But what their reaction is, is usually they go into flexion. 
um, when they- Interesting. And that happens usually. So I notice that, for example, and I'm um, sorry to interrupt you, but I notice that, for example, when I take my daughter out of her swaddle, Okay. Yeah. right? Like her arms were nice and tight by her body. I take her out of her swaddle and her arms immediately go up above her head. She doesn't feel safe anymore. She's dysregulated. She doesn't know where, you know, her body oh is. Oh my gosh, baby girl, you are so safe. Yeah. She's like, I'm not in my swaddle. Right. Because that that's so yeah. um, comforting and safe for them. And that's why babies tend to calm and really relax. And you can even feel their breathing change when you have that deep pressure. What are some of the other like reflexes that you pay attention to in early childhood or like even when we're, when we're considering babies? Okay. So ATNR. That this reflex, the STNR, like these are all reflexes. They they do so many things. So they're not just about movement. They also connect their eyes, like to make their eyes move together. They also get their bodies so that they they react to certain stimuluses, like the spinal perez and the spinal gallant reflexes help their spine stay erect or help their spine twist or turn. So like there's so many reflexes that can inhibit skills down the line. So I'm testing a lot of children now for reflexes because some of them are still present. And reflexes can reappear if there's a time of stress, if there's a time. Yeah. So even if they were integrated, they can reappear and start to interfere with these things. So you always want to be present and knowing, yes, they can cross midline. Crossing midline is a big one for reflexes. Like a lot of kids don't choose to cross midline. They're kind of like, how does that mean exactly? So when they're crossing midline, you want your babies to reach across their body mm-hmm. and also look across their body. And again, with the torticollis kids, they, they can't do this. They can't, okay. They can't move in patterns. They can't move side to side. They can't cross one, like your left arm over to the right side of your body and vice versa. It, it depends how bad it is. But yes, you see that a lot in babies with torticollis. Yeah, they have okay. midline crossing issues. And then eventually that comes to play in like visual issues because their eyes can't track together. Their eyes aren't moving together. Their eyes aren't um, able to move without their head moving. Okay. Understood. Yeah. You know, and part of Linda, what I, why I think this is so important to even talk about these and specify what exactly these, these things that you're, that you're talking about, like, is that most parents do not know what these things are. And I want to give an example that I I talked about a while ago about my C-section experience is like, I started talking about cholestasis of pregnancy. I had no idea what that was, you know? And then I posted that episode and then all of a sudden, like these women were emailing or sending me messages like, oh my gosh, because of your episode, I went out and I got checked or, oh my gosh, I had that and I had no idea, you know? And so this is part of why I think hosting these types of episodes and getting really, really specific about things to look out for, right? Like this reaching across the chest, like this inability to do that is so important for parents to hear because we don't, we don't know. We're all doing this like for the first time. And even on my third time now, right? Like these are, I'm just hearing about this for the first time still. And it's my third child. It's not like you have more kids and all of a sudden, you know, everything like that's not the case. You know, we're still learning. Everybody is learning on life, you know? So I think, I think we need to be talking about those things so we as parents can be in the best position to help our little ones and support them in areas that they need. And I will say one thing for all parents, try not to use baby containers. What is that? Baby containers, like this, where you sit them and they stand up and they hit things, but their feet aren't in the right position and they're weight bearing improperly and they're leaning on one side of their bodies. And then 
they're upright, but they're not supposed to be upright yet because their bodies aren't able to hold themselves upright yet. Until what age would you say? I mean, I try, I try to encourage people to stay away from baby containers, period, unless it's a stroller. Period. Unless, I mean, unless it's a stroller. Yeah, you need that. And like, obviously, like, if you need to use the swing because you're making dinner and the baby needs to calm down, like within reason, but not just leaving them there and not like using it as something for them to stay in for a long period of time. A few minutes, sure, fine. But not like, we're going to leave them there for an hour. They like it there. You know, it's funny because I had a baby nurse with my first, um, with my first, my firstborn, and she was like adamant about me not using any type of like swings or like the snoo. I'm not even, I'm not knocking these brands, guys. I'm not knocking these brands. I'm just saying what I was taught. But she was like so adamant against using things like that. And I was in such a haze that I don't even remember why. Like I was like, yeah, okay, don't use the thing. All right. All right. Moving on. And I never really use, I use like a bouncer, like on occasion, like you're saying, if I had to put the baby down and I have to go take a shower, you know, if I have to, to put the baby down and I have to, you know, I'm trying to prep something, but it definitely was never, and never has been, um, a place of like regular hanging out space or like where they fall asleep, for example. Parents who pull their kids to make, oh, they're ready to walk. They're ready to walk. Let's walk them. Let's keep them walking. No, they're not ready to be upright if you're holding their hands. If they're not cruising along furniture or pulling themselves along furniture, they're not ready. So interesting. And you shouldn't encourage it. They should learn how to use, because they need all those those side-to-side muscles, not the just front and back ones. The front and back ones are the bigger ones, and they develop faster, and they're bigger. So if they don't get the side-to-side, they won't have safety and like diagonal movement, which a lot of our movement has to be diagonal, because we have to stop ourselves from falling and have protective reactions. And those are also things you look at with babies. Babies who are in... Um, these prolonged containers, prolonged positions, they don't have those because they've just been propped up for so long. How does that affect their development later as they become toddlers and young children? They don't have the stability. You, they move more like units. You don't see the dissociation through their muscles and through their joints. So the child, like, and I'll even take it a, a little further down the line. So the child who can't, um, dissociate his movements his feet are wrapped around like the bottom of the desk so he can have stability when he has to sit in his desk for long periods of time and then he has to handwrite so his whole body is like you see them like laying on the table so they can get feedback from their for their body and feel stable when they're doing something that's hard for like their extremities because that's the end of the line right your muscles start on proximal distal right so you're developing all your muscle strength proximally first and then distally but the kids who don't develop it proximally, they, there's no way they can have it distally. So it's almost like muscle memory. Like they're just, they don't have the strength, they don't right? Have strength yet. Yeah. It's, right. It's torture for them to sit in desks and have to like sit at tables when their bodies aren't even able to like sit up for a long period of time and do like crisscross applesauce for a long period of time. Because crisscross applesauce is all core strength. Kids that we see that are W sitting with their feet behind their, their butts. That's just using their joints. They're sitting on their joints. They're not using their core strength. I'm like, do my kids sit? I'm here. I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, do my kids sit crisscross applesauce? I'm not sure. Cross like I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to pay attention because 
I know that like, for example, my kids are really tight, like with their, with their legs forward, right. With both feet out in front of them, they have like really tight calves from, they walk on their toes. And that's like one of the things that I've gotten to occupational therapy for to help them with walking on their toes because they have really, really tight calves, you know, like, and I'm trying to like that for us was a source of frustration because I noticed that my son was falling forward a lot, you know? Because if he was trying to run fast, he was on his toes and he was leaning forward and he would get so excited and he'd fall forward. And so that's something that we've been able to improve um, through occupational therapy. And the result of that, Linda, is that he was, he became a lot more calm and it almost served as like mood regulation because now he was more in control of his body and less irritable, less agitable. So Linda, you know, I want to, I want to talk specifically about COVID. Have you noticed an uptick in children needing occupational therapy and speech therapy since COVID? And, and if so, why? Yes, absolutely. Because the kids that were home and they were working like zero to five-year-olds, that's where your limbic system develops and that sensory processing, emotional processing, attention, they missed all that. Yeah. They were home and the lack of stimulation and the lack of normal activities that they would be exposed to like playgroups, um, daycare, preschool, whatever groups that they would be in, they weren't exposed to them for a very long time. And then when they finally were, a lot of kids had to wear masks and you're missing so much when you're missing half of someone's face. You can't read their expressions and babies can read expressions. That's how they develop their emotional regulation because they're reading how people respond to them. Kids didn't have that. These zero to five-year-olds during those COVID times, they didn't have that. So if your child was anywhere from newborn to five, like I would recommend, my kids. <laughs> yeah, I would recommend therapy for all of those kids. And then from the speech perspective, perspective, I'm not a speech therapist, but when they can't hear the way language is really spoken because it's muffled through masks, their language processing skills are going to be different, and the way that they they process the information is going to be different. They also can't read people's lips, so they don't. The sound development is different. Because they can't see like an O makes this type of of, of shape with your mouth, yes. right? Or, mm, you know, you press your lips together to make the M sound. So they're missing all of that. I mean, thankfully, you know, I think we spent one year in preschool where my my older son did have to wear a mask. And then thankfully we moved away from that and and there was no more mask wearing. But it was definitely, I mean, it was definitely a thing. And and it was a difficult thing. You know, it was I remember being in parent chats and it was it was a very stressful dynamic of, you know, doing what's best for people. And then also being like really legitimately concerned about progress and the development of our young children. It was a really tough time. I mean, for most people, right? Everywhere. Right. But for those little guys and we can bounce back. We're different because we, we have all the tools we need or we hope so at this point in our lives, but these little guys, they're just learning. They're learning. Yeah, they they don't know the difference. Right. So we really want to support them. And I do see a huge uptick and I, I do see a huge amount of referrals going out. So I hope um, people and parents will be more open to maybe just giving that extra support right now because of what we all went through. You all, I want to take a break and I want to take a moment to tell you about how lucky I feel to have found painless pregnancy. I started seeing Dr. Luli Diaz two weeks after I had my third baby, and I have honestly had the best recovery yet. 
At Painless Pregnancy, their belief is that their services should be the standard of care for every woman, especially pregnant and postpartum women. Some of the issues that they treat are diastasis recti, back pain, hip pain, pelvic pain. They treat pubic dysfunction, numbness and tingling in your arms or legs. They treat general aches and pains, headaches and neck pain. They treat difficulty walking or having a severe waddling gait. They treat balance issues and urinary or fecal incontinence. They help treat pain with sex or other pelvic issues. And they treat prolapse among so many other issues. Pregnant women should not wait until they are actually in pain or dysfunction to see the incredible therapists at painless pregnancy. So many women think that the issues I mentioned are normal or that there is no solution or that their only solution is to have surgery, but that's simply not true. Working with the therapists at painless pregnancy can heal you. You all know that we must fill our own cup before we can pour from it. Make your prenatal and postpartum health a priority today by booking an appointment with Painless Pregnancy. You can head on over to www.painless-pregnancy.com and use my code NikkiSpo10 for 10% off of your initial in-home evaluation visit. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. So one of the things that I experienced as a mom when I was like thinking about, you know, when when the pediatrician was like, yeah, maybe we would we'd benefit from some occupational therapy. I remember feeling like shame in this like weird way. Um, like, oh my gosh, am I doing something wrong as a parent? Am I being, am I not a good mom? Like, what am I not doing? Like, am I missing something? Like I put as a mother, as a parent, like I put a lot of it on myself and part of why I, another part, I mean, this conversation is important for so many reasons, right? Then a bit like one of the things is like, I want to destigmatize this for parents because I know that if I felt that way, like I, I'm, I can't be the only person who felt that way, you know? Like, so what is like... I want to clarify, you know, the fact that we hit that occupational therapy could benefit most children, like most children, if not all, you know, and that this has nothing to do with being a bad parent whatsoever. And so can you like just dive into that a little bit? Because I'm sure that in your practice, you do deal with parents who are like, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I done? And like, what's wrong with my child? And there, there can be some things that we can do to support your child and there's nothing wrong with them. Like I said, developmental milestones don't always occur across the board for every child in the same area. Every person, you, I, every person that we know probably has some area where they struggle with. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I've been struggling guys. <laughs> We could all use a little bit of scaffolding and that's what I call it. We're just putting up the scaffolding in those areas and kind of like pushing them so that they they feel more um, confident and stronger in those areas because you also don't 
want a child to ever like not feel self-confident and be scared because they know they're, and they, they start to know young that they're not doing something that their peers are doing. So you want to always give them that extra support. And I mean, I, I think you and I are from similar generations that, well, I, that didn't happen for me and I'm just fine. Like, no, I'm so over that narrative. You know, it's funny because one of my relatives said to me, well, I went through a lot of trauma too, Nikki, because I'm like all about like, like healing my trauma. Right. And, and he's like, well, I went through a lot of trauma too. And I ended up just, I ended up just fine. And I, I looked and I said, but did you? (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, and then this person was like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe you got a point. And the point is, is that when you know better, you do better, right? Like that's what it is. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm being playful in, in, you know, sharing personal anecdotes, but the point is really, I think what we're getting at is that when you know better, you do better. You know, we have a lot more information now than our parents did and we have the right to like move forward. And I think What's hard about that conversation is that it's not an indictment on our parents or their parents. So we're not like saying, you were terrible. They didn't know what they didn't know at the time. It wasn't, the exposure wasn't there. The information wasn't available. It wasn't there. Yeah. The information wasn't available. Now it's so available. So I would say to any parent who's ever been recommended to have speech therapy or occupational therapy or behavior therapy, just give it a shot. Yeah. I'll always ask parents to give me six months. I'm not going to be able to give you information until I have six months with your child. So give me six months. If And sometimes what I see is behaviors will increase because if they're in a certain, um, just like, they know what to expect from their parents and I'm pushing different demands on them after we've developed rapport and we're comfortable with each other. I'm pushing different demands. Sometimes there is an uptick in behavior because they're doing something that's really uncomfortable for them. And that's okay. Like we can do hard things. Kids can do hard things. And then making them feel safe while they're doing these hard things and not being comfortable is the key to it all. Honestly, Linda, we look forward to going to OT every week. I like tell my kids, I'm like, okay, we're going to, we're going to therapy. And I actually try to use the word therapy because I'm trying to destigmatize the word therapy from a young age so that like if one day they feel like at at some point in their life that they might want to do like therapy with like a a therapist, like for their mental health, that that is like normal. You know, I, I think we are accepting that therapy can be so beneficial and so normal, but like, I just try to use that language even around my little ones. Like instead of calling it OT, like I try to say, okay, we're going to therapy because they're like, oh, therapy's great. Therapy helps me. Therapy's good for me. Like I'm learning how to write my name better. I'm learning how to do all these skills. Like now I can climb a ladder without being scared. You know, like, like spatial awareness, like being able to control your body and now they love it. You know, so I'm, I'm here for it. Now it's one of their extracurriculars. The bottom line is most therapists make it really fun. So it's, it's fun. Therapy's fun. And therapy for kids is fun. And what I also will notice is that, or I also notice a lot, is if I get a referral of a child who's in pre-K or three years old, they think all we're doing is playing. Yeah, exactly. I get that same child and they haven't had therapy and then I'm getting the referral in second grade. They are not happy. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's such a difference because when you start and you make it like a play-based activity and they're already comfortable with this idea of you coming into their day or their life or their school or whatever it is and, and asking them to do these things, they're, to- they're totally fine with it. And then there's a relationship. But then 
I'll get kids that maybe were recommended for therapy and didn't have those services. And then in second grade, they're really falling apart or in the end of first grade, they're really falling apart and I'm recommended. They notice that we're going to have to do even more hard things. It becomes more work kind of therapy focused versus fun therapy focused. And they know it's also different because they've never had it before. Well, then it's also like, oh my gosh, this mountain is huge. Like I wanted to, I was okay with climbing a hill, but like now I have to like charge this entire mountain. It's, it's intimidating. It is intimidating for those kids. So again, parents, if you get the recommendation anywhere from zero to four, zero to three, take it and, and go with it. And so what I'm hearing is that early intervention is really key here. It is. How has the lack of the allowance for children to play outside independently prevented them from developing critical skills like on their own? And what are some of those skills? I'm so glad you brought this up because when we were kids, we got to um, go ride our bikes, go around the neighborhoods, um, just be home by dark, don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. Be home by dark. And then when you get home, you have your chores or you make the table or put together, you know, the silverware and dishes for the table. Like you had um, responsibilities and it wasn't just one. It was multiple responsibilities and you had to prioritize how to manage those responsibilities. Kids don't have those responsibilities today. They, they, they're not responsible for anything unless parents make them responsible for something. I'm so happy that you're saying this, saying this, like I want to clap my hands because those people who listen to my show regularly know that I let, I released um, an episode about why you should give your kids an allowance. And then I listed out, did you listen to that episode? Okay. I'm like, these are your jobs. You got to set the table. You got to feed the dog. You got to put your clothes away. You got to help put your toys away. And, And as small as they might be, they're like, I mean, my kids are three and four years old right now, you know? Um, like we can build on that. Like eventually we'll get to like, you're going to make the bed and like, you're going to help, you're going to observe me cooking or what, whatever it is that we decide, you know, and you're going to help clean up the things outside with me, you know, whatever. Um, but to your point, it's like, now we really have to create the responsibilities, you know, like, and one of the things that I was thinking about was like time management, like be home by dark. Are you kidding me? Like I have to be like, okay, I need to be paying attention. Like I cannot get carried away or else I'm going to get in trouble. You know, time management is a really big thing. That's why I, 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 you know, like in my parent groups, like we, we love the use of timers. We're like, okay, you have three minutes. And you know, one thing that I do, and you can let me know if this is like, I mean, I'm, I'll give you the opportunity to pat me on the back. Sure. But, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> like I let them pick how much time within, within reason, you know, I'm like, okay, we're going to be leaving soon. How many more minutes are we going to play with the blocks? For the longest time, my kids would be like, three minutes. And I swear they thought that was like 30 minutes. But they were like, three minutes. And like before they could tell numbers, I'm like, do you want seven minutes? They're like, no, three minutes. I'm like, okay, better for me. <laughs> now they know. Now, now my older son will be like, mommy, I want a hundred minutes. I'm like, all right, buddy. <laughs> now you have to like negotiate that. I'm negotiating, right. Now I'm negotiating. I'm like, no, let's, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, maybe 10 minutes. He's like, 60. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a long night. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, no, it is important to let them feel like they have jurisdiction because you want them to feel in control and also use the timers because the hard stop is the hard stop. Yeah. And, there's and then it has to be the hard stop. And that's what's hard to the parents, right? Like we have to be accountable to our word. Right. And, and consistent. 
And yes, and always consistent. consistent because whatever you're showing them one day, if you change it the next day, they they won't know what's right or wrong, and then they'll keep pushing. But if they know that you're not bending, you're not you're not being flexible in that way, then they'll just they'll know that's the end. Well, you know, one of my good friends, Evelyn Mandal, and she's like a, she's a parenting coach. She gave me this um, example of being on the top of a skyscraper. Right. And imagine if you had no like railing and you'd be like, this is huge skyscraper and it's a windy day and there's no railing. You'd be like, I'm going to stand right here in the middle of this skyscraper and I'm not going to move. But now once you have the boundary of a railing and it's secure, the perimeter is secure, you feel safe enough to like move about the area, trusting that you are going to be okay. And I think parents, like the boundary isn't about just being like strict or being in charge. It's really about creating safety and creating like the freedom. Like, yes, you have freedom within this boundary. Yes. And to keep you safe. And showing boundaries and showing your own personal boundaries is really important for children to see because I think it gets a little mucky sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about like going outside and playing, like we've kind of adapted in, in, in the world, you know, to creating the the new version of that. So what skills can we target with play-based activities with our little ones? Play-based activities outside, like having like a, a plan and having processes to that plan that you're following, like it depend depending on the age and what you're accomplishing, but like building something and building something together. So there's a, a beginning, a middle and an end, beginning two steps in the middle and then the end. And then you can stack it depending on how comfortable they are with it. But like also like having unstructured play and structured play. I love that. You brought that up. Yeah, because they need both. Like they need time to explore on their own. Mm-hmm. And that's they- why like in preschools, like they often set up, what are they called? Like, I don't remember what the, what our teachers were calling it, but not initiatives. It was something else that she was calling it, but like, there were different stations where they have an opportunity to like see what they're most interested in, go to that table and like play with those things Mm -hmm. um, before they get started with their day. So that's really important for them because then, you know, they gravitate towards what their creativity calls to and, and they'll want to like play and then they can engage socially if they want to engage socially with their peers and parallel play or even reciprocally play depending on what age they are. But then you want some structured play as well because you want them to be able to, um, you know, run from point A to point B, pick up the ball and bring it back. Like something as simple as that, but like also structured. Oh, following directions. Uh, and, yeah. directions and also like multi-step, multi-step activities, for, you know, for the older kids. But so occupational therapy can really help with so many things. We're talking about like sensory regulation, social and emotional growth, reflex integration, fine motor skills, gross motor skills, and even cognitive visual and handwriting development. Yeah. Yes. Like every, it really helps everything. I, I would say it's like your trainer <laughs> and I'm, I'm yeah. your trainer for all your life skills at like oh. a young age. Like you want an occupational therapist. I love that. Yeah. So I want to, I want to, close by talking about children who are on the spectrum. Um, what do you, what to do if you are a parent who senses that their child might be on the spectrum? I mean, first see your pediatrician and 
find out. There's so many programs um, available to neurodivergent children and children who have those diagnoses. So first see your pediatrician, see if he can recommend um, any services. I would always say OT, PT, speech, maybe not PT, depending on how they're moving. But most kids who are on the spectrum have a lot of toe walking and interesting movement movement patterns. So reflex development does help them. But I would say give them everything from the beginning and start heavy. If you need to pull back, you can pull back. Um, one of the bigger things that I, I love to work on with kids and parents, diets, diets and food and how that affects them. And every child will respond differently. But like taking away the big inflammation triggers like dairy, gluten, food coloring, you know, sugars. So any processed foods, um, supplementing with high DHA, like the fish oils and can also help those kids. But I'm not a pediatrician and I do do a lot of dietary intervention, but I'm, I'm not a dietitian either. So I, I do recommend looking into that because it can be so helpful. And I have had children who have had access to um, a lot of holistic care, like um, acupuncture, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, um, depending on what you have access to, those things can all be helpful. So how can we, so when you think about the school system, right, how can we advocate for our children who may have special learning requirements but especially in the public school system, like what interventions can be made? They can receive OT, PT, and speech through public school systems. I that's available that. in the yes. state of Florida. Yes, that's available. I do believe they're also, if if the parents advocate, they, they can get an IEP and they can have- okay, An IEP. So can you specify what an IEP is? I mean, I, I remember this from being a teacher, my time being a teacher, but- for those who don't know, and I, like this information is gold, you know? It's, it's an education plan to give your child special accommodations in the classroom or outside of the classroom. So sometimes a child will get their own paraprofessional, so someone who works directly with that child throughout the day, um, or they'll get extra time for doing certain tasks that might be, you know, difficult for them. It depends on what the IEP goals are, but always have an IEP if you're in the public school system. So advocacy is super important. Um, I want to encourage parents that, you know, like not to be afraid of this, but to advocate, you know, and I want to share like a story without sharing like who this person is. But I remember a, a friend of mine discovered that her child was, um, was indeed autistic. And she was so frustrated because before coming to that realization, you know, the, the child was struggling in school, like in the preschool and then in kindergarten. And she just couldn't figure out what it was. So she finally like, you know, like you don't want to get this news that your, your child is autistic, but she finally went and had it addressed and got her the IEP, you know, got the child the IEP. And the child is now getting the support that the child needs in school and is now thriving. So this is having an IEP isn't something to be ashamed of. It's something that can truly benefit and help the child excel in a learning environment. Yes. And they can have even, um, I think behavioral therapies covered under that umbrella as well. 
That's amazing. That's You'd have to double check that. So yes, I an IEP is necessary for any child that has special needs, not even on the spectrum, but right. just any kind of learning delay, they need an mm-hmm. IEP. How accessible is occupational therapy for lower income families? Very accessible through the Medicaid system. Medicaid has great coverage for occupational therapy services, and there's a lot of clinics that accept Medicaid insurance. So I think Medicaid is actually one of the better insurance plans. It's those middle insurance plans that get kind of wonky where you have to have big co-pays or big deductibles. Interesting. Yeah. So Medicaid is a really good um, provider for occupational therapy and speech therapy services. So I would assume that like, you know, you hear like, oh my gosh, I have to go do another thing. You know, like parents are so overwhelmed as it is. It's like, oh my gosh, one more thing. You know, that's another bill I'm going to have to pay. It can be super overwhelming. And so knowing that it is accessible and that it is worth your time and energy is super important here. And I think that's, that's really the essence of being able to host you today, Linda, you know, is, is real, is really reinforcing the the idea that occupational therapy is well worth your investment of time, money, whatever it is to help your child thrive. Yes. And starting earlier is always better. It's better for these, for these kids so that they don't end up feeling lack. They feel like they are lacking in some area and they can feel empowered. Right. They feel empowered. And then they walk into their classroom knowing, you know what, I have these people behind me and they've, they've got me and I'll just ask Miss Linda for help later if I need help with this. Yeah. And like that's, some, that's really comforting for kids. Totally. Well, Linda Matthews, I am so grateful to have hosted you today. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I can't wait to share this with our audience, especially the parents. I hope the parents are tuning in. And for anyone listening, um, if you loved this, go ahead and leave a five-star review and a, um, you know, rate the review. Give me a five-star rating and the review. Visit Linda Matthews and share this with another parent who might need to hear this because that's what really, really what this is about is like sharing the wealth of knowledge that we have access to. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. Amazing. Big thank you to my friends at Painless Pregnancy who have helped me have a truly painless postpartum experience after my C-section. I am seriously so very grateful to have found them and I want every woman in town to know that these services exist and are available to them. Head on over to www.painless-pregnancy.com and use my code NikkiSpo10 for 10% off of your initial in-home evaluation visit. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The No. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The No. 
You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and the Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless and in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Thank you.